All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fucksters? What the fuckadelics? That could go on for a while. Sometimes I don't know if I should keep doing it at all. But we're 10 years in, and it was sort of a, a carryover from something I did back in the day on Morning Sedition, a community builder. Now it's a habit, and now it's a, it's a signature thing, and I do it. I used to have lists of different WTF things, and uh, I, I like doing it. So I don't know who I'm talking to. It's as if somebody just told me not to do it, and that person just lives in my head, that there was a moment there in the middle of doing it where I'm like, I'm doing this again, uh, and then there was another voice that said, why? And then uh, the out loud one said, because it's what I do. How's it going with you guys? Are you doing what you do? Are you holding on? The bottom line is the last several months, four years have been hard for everybody. You know, I was shattered with some personal experiences that I'm getting through. But it's in all this vulnerability and in all this isolation, you know, that you know, you start to see, and I've talked about this a bit before, that you kind of really get a sense of who you really are. And, you know, lately I've I've really been wondering if I've changed at all. You know, because I have this compulsion, my, you know, some of my old kind of desires to like, I want to smoke cigars. You know what I mean? I want to be out in the world. I just like, I can feel the discomfort and, you know, my sense of self is kind of fragmented. I find I'm insecure again. I'm obsessing about my weight and this and that. All the things that I used to do to try to somehow feel like I had control over my life by creating more aggravation for myself, more drama for myself, more um, reasons to to beat myself up, that was somehow grounding to me through most of my life, and I've identified that. But now with Lynn gone and the fact that I was starting to believe her, you know, uh, I was starting to believe her idea of me, and I think a lot of it was true, and I was trying to live in that, but now it's like a, it's a struggle. So the last few weeks have been sort of fraught with this idea that like, you know, like, well, fuck it, man. Look at me. Maybe maybe she was the best thing about me, even though it had nothing to do with me. You know, maybe, you know, I felt better when I was with her. And now look at me. I'm just the same old fuck I always was. And then I just beat myself up for one reason or another. And by the way, I have uh, Glenn Close on today. Glenn Close. It's one of the only things that saves me is like I get to talk to amazingly talented people and enjoy that and wonder in the face of it, do I have any talent? Who am I? What am I? But you know Glenn Close from the Big Chill, Fatal Attraction, The Natural. Uh, Maybe some of you grew up watching her in 101 Dalmatians. Uh, She's uh, currently in the new Netflix movie Hillbilly Elegy, which was quite a stunning performance on her part and... You know, Amy Adams, right? I get some some of the Amys mixed up. Yes, Amy Adams. Uh, so that was great to talk to her. But this meditation thing keeps popping up, you know? I, I've been doing therapy. I've been doing EMDR to try to process, you know, some of the trauma of late and of early. I got to sit quietly. My therapist pointed out to me that that negative thinking is sort of the animal thing that we have to choose against. I never thought about this way. A couple of things that happened in the last week. I talked to John Densmore from The Doors, 
who, who in his book brought up something that I said to Gary Shandling or Gary Shandling said to me. And I'm paraphrasing. It was like people that can't sit in silence or with silence are addicts. And when you strip it down to that degree, like, you know, in, you know to, to get to a place of, of, of silence, meditative silence, to not be able to do that is in and of itself addiction to where you like, I have to, I have to distract. I have to distract. I have to distract. I have to get away from me. But the interesting thing that my therapist brought up was that on an animal level, we think negative. And I'm like, how is that even possible? Because we're conscious. I mean, negative is a, is a value judgment. And she said, well, as an animal, your first, you know, all you're thinking is fight or flight. Really, that's your reaction to the world. You wake up and you're like, all right, here we go. So that translated into human, you know, is like uh, fear and assumptions and negative thoughts. And then the beating yourself up, that's a different choice. That comes from parenting or lack of parenting. But like, when does this stop? When do I stop making mistakes? When do I fully fucking learn from my experience? I guess not until I live on a goddamn mountain by myself. But that's where the possibility comes in. Why can't I just sit with myself until I like myself? But this meditation thing keeps coming up. It kind of landed with me when Densmore took that section of my conversation with Gary Shandling, which I don't remember. And then the knowledge that Lynn used to meditate twice a day. And then my therapist saying that one of the things that it would enable you to do if you sit with yourself, just learn how to do it, to meditate, is to accept yourself and maybe love yourself. See, that's the fucked up thing. I don't want to get into complaining. We have bigger problems in the world. Everyone's got their own burden to carry and to bear. You know, try not to dump it on other people. But uh, why can't I just sit fucking quietly and figure that out? God damn it. I crave the peace of abandon. And it seems attainable. If I just sit, I know what's up intellectually. I know who I am in my heart. I know my liabilities. I know my shortcomings. I know my sadness, my anger. I know all this stuff. And I live with it. And some days I accept it. But I need to get to the next place where I continue to honor myself through decisions and also to to maybe fight. And I don't even like to say it. To like myself, for fuck's sake. To love myself. See, I, I'm uncomfortable with even saying that. I'd rather just, you know, parade around on stage or on Instagram with you folks doing the emotional wrestling doing the back and forth, doing the song and dance, doing the jokes, doing the anger, doing the guitar, doing this, doing that, doing the eating, doing the cooking, stripping the pans, starting things, not finishing things, loose ends, drama, terrified eating. God damn, I gotta get straight with myself.
in terms of acceptance, self-love, moving through feelings. It like there is such a fucking strong part of me that is so fucking young inside, childish even, and so afraid of being hurt. And that's and I've talked about this before in my act. The monster I created to protect the child inside is hard to manage. That's I mean, I can't get any truther than that. That's as truther as I can be. And it exists. Got to bring it. I got to get that kid out. I got to get that kid. OK, I got to show that kid some love and I got to fucking, you know, integrate and meditate. Yeah. This is what I'm left with after phase one of the grieving process. I'm left with me again. God damn, I'm going to make a cake. So look, Glenn Close was a surprising uh, talk about things that, you know, I didn't, I couldn't have imagined. It always is that way when I talk to people. I was happy to talk to her. I was thrilled to talk to her. I watched the movie Hillbilly Elegy. Obviously, I've seen many of her movies. But uh, we, she was very engaged conversation, and she looks great, and I love her, and I love talking to her. Uh, she's in this new movie, as I mentioned, Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, it's got her, Glenn Close, Amy Adams, directed by Ron Howard, streaming on Netflix now. And uh, this is uh, this is me talking to Glenn Close. Hi, Glenn. Hi. How are you? I'm fine. Are you still in Northern California? I am in, uh, no, I'm in Southern California. Ah. Uh, where are you? I'm in Bozeman, Montana. Really? It's snowing right now. Can you see? Uh, that's exciting. I know. It's great. Yeah, we don't have real winter down here. It's just crisp. We just said, like, yeah, this, <laughs> yeah this Chris is, for you is like 62 degrees. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah people Chris are for us is minus nine. <laughs> <laughs> people here are complaining about how cold it is, and it's, yeah, 63. Yeah. You're a bunch of wusses down I, here. Look, I lived in New York for long enough. I'm from New Mexico. I know what snow is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know what York. wind chill is. Boy, can New York get cold. Oh, oh my the, God. With the wind chill? It's crazy. Oh, but it's so, it's such damp. Uh, cold. Yeah, it's the worst. Here's so, different. It's dry. It's not as bad. It's nice. It's pretty. You can still enjoy yeah. the cold in Montana. Yeah. How yeah. long have you been up there? Well, uh, two members of my family, my two siblings, have been here for thirty over 30 years. Really? My parents used to live, they're both gone now, but they, they were in Wyoming. So I was the only Eastern holdout for my entire working life until last christmas where i when i moved here across the yard from my younger sister so you live on the same compound the the, the oh, that... i wouldn't call it a compound i'd call it two houses <laughs> next to each other in the you know in the nice fabulous normal neighborhood oh that's nice yeah compound's yeah. a little menacing um, well compound sounds a little she she yeah or or a little scary either way she she scary oh yeah there are compounds out here that are scary <laughs> I would think so, yeah. But wait, so you're, do you come from Wyoming? No, we all come from Connecticut so originally. Your, your parents just ended up in Wyoming? My parents were black sheep, of if there were ever black sheep. They, we all, I mean, they both grew up basically in Greenwich, Connecticut. 
Fancy um, Greenwich, Connecticut? Like fancy Greenwich. Hoity-toity? Well, yeah. well, now it's really different from when I was growing up. But anyway. What's going um, on there now? I don't even know what's going on in Greenwich. Well, I don't know either. I, I But, you know, all these huge, 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 huge mansions all over the place oh. with big, big walls and locked gates. And oh. when I was little, we would, you know, get on our little feisty Shetland pony and ride all over the place and you know it was uh a totally right. different it felt like a totally different place. the rolling hills of connecticut or something yeah i mean it was like the back you know, back country but your parents were black sheep like like i like wait what was the situation there when you're growing up i mean i mean we were lucky enough to to my grandfather had had uh a like 180 acres and oh my country. god that's like half yeah. the state <laughs> 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 he was, he was, uh, yeah. So we could have been in Iowa, as far as we were concerned. So that was was that a compound where you guys? <laughs> were you, well, I couldn't were, call a farm a compound. It, it was, was a farm. It was, yeah, it was like a farm. Legit yeah. farm. So your grandfather was yeah, in the, chickens and oh, he wasn't in the farming business. But yes, I call it a farm. gentleman's farm. Yeah. <laughs> so we ran ran wild. And so uh, was it, what and, was he? A big landowner? What was he? Like a corporate wizard? Your grandfather. Was he a, a, from the Mayflower no. or something? Well, other ancestors weren't on the Mayflower, but close behind. No kidding. <laughs> so old old school uh, uh, America. Way True old. Yankees. Yeah, I mean, around the world, like Yankees, uh, uh, it's uh, Yankee, you know, is not necessarily, it can be pejorative. Right. Um, no, no, but, I get it. You know, it's yeah. true, you know, we real, yeah, die, New Englanders. Blue Bloods. Yeah. All right, so that's well, that's kind of deep, right? I mean, yeah. to, <laughs> to yeah. grow up in I mean, that. Well, it's 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 fascinating. I you know I I want to know everything about my family. I know my grandmother on my dad's side was in the Galveston flood. When oh, she really? Was three years old. Yeah. And what? Tell me about that. What is the Galveston flood? I feel you said it the like Galveston I should know it. flood was was still eight thousand people died. It's still the biggest natural disaster to befall this country. Oh my God. It was a storm surge that basically wiped out a huge section of Galveston. So you have to, so you had family from Texas. Yes, Texas, Virginia. And that was your yeah. mom's side. My dad's side. Who's the one that goes back to in the Connecticut? Well, the know, closest like, do. There, there's a Thomas Close house oh, okay. on Lake Avenue in Greenwich, and that goes, you know, back to way back. Way back, yeah, yeah. So would you say that they were like, you know, old school kind of waspy, you know, was it a, a yeah. A, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you kind of lived in that world. That's exciting. That's what you Well, grew up in. that's why my that's why I say my parents were black sheep because we did not live in that world. They they quit the they quit the country clubs, you know, we didn't have coming out parties, none of that stuff. They really? they weren't into that. No. Rebels. Mm-mm. What did they yeah. do? What was your dad? What was your what was your dad's gig? My dad was a surgeon. Oh, mine he went, too. He, he went he went in, into the war. Yeah, and he flew with the Army Air Corps in wow. France. Yeah, um, and when he came back uh, on the, um, he went to Columbia, became a surgeon. What kind of surgeon? Then, general. Uh, general surgeon. Yeah. Is your it's dad a general surgeon? Orthopedic, hammers oh, and good. saws. Uh, yeah, yeah, a nothing of, like know. a good orthopedic yeah. surgeon. <laughs> yeah, my 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 dad did everything. I mean, then I mean, it's a long story, and I you know it could be the entire uh, show interview. But yeah. um, 
you know, they ended up going, he went to the Congo in 1980, 1960. Uh, really? With a kind of a quasi-missionary type group. And he, he spoke fluent French. So when the mutiny broke out, he stayed walked into the big hospital there and said, put me to work, I'm a surgeon. All the Belgian surgeons were leaving. Huh. And he worked all through the, the mutiny and stayed for 16 years in the Congo. And then when they came back, they, they went to the least populated county in the least populated state, which was Sublette County, Wyoming. And it became the town doc for the last 25, 30 years of his life. Wow, that really is black sheep business yeah. there. <laughs> so you lived in the Congo as a kid? I visited the Congo. Oh, yeah. Like, were you already like too old? No. How? I mean, why'd you? That, that's you... A, a story. They got they got into a kind of a cult group. So Christian you know, cult. This is why we don't want to go there too far. Well, it's supposed to be for everybody. You know, yeah. if you were a good Muslim, be a good Muslim. Good, good Christian, be a good Christian. But basically, it was like any other cult. Um, you know, well, we're going to remake the world and. No kidding. So, so you were you were old enough to say I'm not fucking doing that. No, oh. I wasn't. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't get out of it till I was 22, and I went to College of William and Mary as a freshman when I was 22 years old. Did you? Was it a revelation that you realized it was a cult, or were you like, "This is bullshit. I got to get out." Thank God I'm in college. Yeah, it was that. That oh. And did they I mean, it, right. a revelation? I mean, uh, it, it was always incredibly controlling. So I didn't know what I didn't know. I just knew I was ignorant. Oh, okay. So you didn't know you were in a cult per se. It was just the life. Well, I, I, I felt very separate and different from people. Oof. What was the name of the thing? Moral Rearmament. Wow. Or MRA. Yeah. Wow. I, I used even... to not be able to talk about it at all because I, I felt like there was a stamp on my forehead. Right. Uh, and, and I felt a sense of terrible shame. It wasn't my fault. Right. But I felt terrible shame. And um, it, it really wrecked havoc with uh, me and my siblings. I, I, you know, but that's why it's a, it's a long story. But, you know, it's, it's devastating to go through something like that when you're that young. It, it's, it's a mind fuck and it's real uh, psychological abuse, basically. And oh, for you, sure. Was there a leader? You don't leader? know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, so oh, that was the whole thing, huh? Oh, the leader. Yes, it was on on your birthday. You got ushered into this room and you were given a little. This is when we we stayed in Switzerland for two weeks. Given this little embroidered Swiss hanky, it was like you were being given, you know, gold. It was it was just oh when you think God. about it, it was so ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, you know, and and to, I remember as a little girl, we would all have to have work shifts, and we if you were got lucky enough to work in uncle frank's dining room oh and you could God. set the table and wow. of course it had all the best crystal and silverware and but you felt like you were the anointed i mean it's the same kind of thing that is such so powerful uh, yeah it's but it's interesting isn't it that your parents like being you know sophisticated educated people uh, kind of like got involved with that, isn't? Isn't that well? Kind of- you know, I mean, this is everything. Come, you know, the thing was, my mom didn't finish high school. They got married when they were eighteen. Dad, uh, yeah, dad had a very, very good. Uh, he went to St. Paul's, then he went to uh, Harvard, but left to go to, into the war. And then he, yeah, he had he had a great education, and he also had 
as a child had been sent as at seven years old, which I think had huge repercussions uh, on how he looked at the world, but when um, to uh, English schools. Uh huh. Oh, okay. From seven on, you know. So he um, was like is, he was away from his parents and just left to the yes, institution. Right? Yes. Yes. His dad was the director of the American Hospital in, in Paris. Hmm. So that's why he spoke French. I mean, so it's fascinating. It's wow. really fascinating. And I've been able to come to terms with it. But it's still, uh, I have trigger points yeah. that, I, that I've become aware of. And I just know what kind of people to stay away from. It's not healthy for me. Well, I mean, you got to be like, there's there's an element of that now that I think everybody tries to reckon with. Like, you know, how do these people allow themselves to be brain fucked by bullshit and, and commit to it wholeheartedly? It's hard to understand. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it comes down to, I think my parents, when they got sucked into it, had, were at a very, very fragile point in their marriage. Oh, you know, and I think they, and they, this group fills in where you are the weakest, and tells you, come in, come in, come in and believe what we believe and we're going to change the world. It's, I, 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 Higher purpose. I mean, it's, we, I think as humans, we're very susceptible to that because we're born into this world. We, you know, we don't know where we come from. We don't know where we're going. We don't right. know who we are. Yeah. And uh, depending on what kind of, what kind of strength you get from your parents. Upbringing, your little, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, that, um. It's what it's how you can deal with it. Yeah, that's the vulnerability. How you can keep your individuality, and right. I and I do think because I, 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 I was born. I you know I'm very much an introvert. I've been in my head since I was little, so I had a very active, imaginative life. So I don't think they ever got me there, but but they got me in a lot of other ways. They, I mean, the group, not my my parents. But your parents group, obviously needed some parental, like they're they're they had a, a, a gap in their parent, their how they were parented, because that you need that sort yes. of like. Yes, you, they, you need, they, my dad was. I mean, basically, he was abandoned when right. he sent a seven year old. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, it's, it's crazy. So you um, were able to hide your inner life, and you knew that instinctively that that was sort of yours. Well, I, you know, you become a little soldier. Yes, yeah. I do. My yeah. other of my siblings, one, my younger sister was too young, but my other siblings had their own ways of of rebelling. But I'm, I don't, I, I don't have the DNA of a rebel. No, I, I, uh, well, I guess I've learned it in a way, but you, you more retreat inward. I'm more of a pleaser. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How can I help? How can I help you with your... Yeah, with your, yeah. With your, your Who do you want me to be? Who do you want me to be? I can be that. Yeah, yeah. I can be that. Ooh, I'm not that. Oh, I better get out of here. But uh, <laughs> every single relationship I've that, ever had. And that's Who do you want me life. to be? Oh, I can be that. Oh, I'm not that. Help! Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully as you get older, it takes less time to realize you're not that. Oh, <sighs> <laughs> I'm, I, shall I say I had a very empty toolbox <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and uh, I haven't always known the right tools to put in it but you know I think I'm at a pretty good place in my life now you, you seem know. good you see, you're exuding <laughs> I feel goodness. great yeah well I mean it's like I because I, I was thinking well that explains a lot about because one thing that I was thinking about before I talked to you is the range of women that you have been in in acting it's kind of crazy 
the, the if you really think about all the, all the different really extreme types of emotional monsters that you've brought <laughs> monsters <laughs> some of them only but, one monster that's cruella okay otherwise no, but you have to bring humanity to people that are that are, are are troubled and and mentally you know fragile and and uh, have uh, real shortcomings that can be dangerous, um, mm. but also you know you, you're really good with the maternal force as well somehow. So I don't know where you tap into all that, but I guess this needing to uh, to be somebody for somebody uh, must have informed the early acting intent. You know, I really don't know because uh, I think that love of pretending yeah which it is when you're a child right in the early days you know before i was seven we had this wonderful landscape to run on and imagine on and uh we did we and and i was you know i was a cowboy uh i was but i had and we played with puppets and we it was you know it was of course you you lived you 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 made up things you sure. made up your games and who you were and where your hideout was and who are the good guys who are the bad guys you know it was all and it's all so healthy for a child to do that um, but and I I loved fairy tales yeah I loved even the scary ones I pretend I was a little match girl you know oh yeah the more the more kind of forlorn the better. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and then so I loved uh, the great classic Disney animated features. Um, what especially seven, uh, seven dwarves, especially Snow White, oh, especially Snow White, Snow White because yeah. the the um, the Wicked Witch was so incredibly scary. And then I got to play a Wicked Witch later as Cruella, a Disney so, witch, right? Yeah, a Disney witch. It was it was so so wonderful. So I think uh, I think long. It, it was in my this is I'm doing what I should be doing well I mean it in in that moment that you were able to go to uh to college to to sort of escape from you know get out from yeah. under this weird shameful life that you had to hide like I imagine that at that moment like that that must have just been mind-blowing because I mean what we you that was in the 70s too right so a lot of shit was happening 1970 so like the world was blowing up expressively you know you know the youth uh, of the country was kind of yeah. like music, art, you know, taking. But I had been, in, I had been caught in a very uh, conservative group. Right. So it must you have know? been just explosive when you got. What college did you go to? Yeah, William and Mary, Virginia. That was, was incredible. It, what, was the, what was the campus like there? Were people were the were the young people really? Were they pushing the envelope at Williams? And it Mary? wasn't like Berkeley or anything like no, that. But it, no. but that kind of spread around a bit. Didn't yeah, it? yeah, it did. But I wasn't kind of you know I just lived in the theater department. Uh-huh. I have to say I wish now I'd been more of a a rebel. But you have to remember I that kind of rebellion was not built into me. Right, right. It, you it, know, so I I had to find it. It took me a long time. Long, long, long time. But what I had was uh, the theater. And so that was what you studied there the whole time you were there? I Oh, I studied. It's my, I studied theater. I, well, I majored in theater and, and anthropology. Anthropology. But of course, it was like, literally, it was like water in the desert. I had a brilliant bio 101 yeah. uh, professor. I thought, oh, God, you know, they, we'd, he'd talk about mitochondria, and that's right. all we know. I'd say, no! Yeah. No, I want to know more. Yeah. But I never could have gotten through chemistry. But um, I couldn't either. You know, just it was like everything 
philosophy, yeah. you know, French drama, English literature, poetry, which still kind of uh, intimidates me in a way. There's yeah. always the girl who got the meaning, kind of. But, yeah, but they're liars. <laughs> <laughs> you know. No, it was fantastic. And I have a little dog, Penny, with me, and we she trot, you know, behind me. In college? Me, go, you yeah. Penny? You brought a dog to college? Yeah. That's nice. I did. I've, I've never heard that before. Yeah. In fact, in fact, my senior my senior year at, at Phi Beta Kappa Hall, Phi Beta Kappa started at William and Mary, uh-huh. and uh, so there's their theater. It was a beautiful, beautiful. I think they're now redoing it. I hope they. But anyway, uh, their theater was where I lived, and Penny was very much a part there. And I heard my senior year or after I graduated, that the, the faculty had gotten together and realized that there were too many dogs in the building and they'd better lay down the law and not allow dogs. And then there was this pause, and then somebody said, but what about Penny? <laughs> <laughs> the, the most so, the important so dog. I think they, yeah, so they didn't, uh, I don't think they changed the rule till after we were we were gone. That's wild. I never, I, I, I just never, I never saw any dogs in college. I guess it was a different time. There should be more dogs in college. I People think so. would not be in their high anxiety and stress. And, yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, what, my little, my little soulmate's just lying right over there. You, you got one? One Yes, dog? I Pip, Sir Pippin of Beanfield. Yes. Ah, yes. What kind of dog is Pip? Pip is a Havanese. Oh, I don't even know what Pippy. that looks like. Wait. Oh, he's well. They're like Havanese can come in all different colors, but he happens. He was born gray and black, and now he's white. Old? No, he's five. Oh, that's not bad. No, he just turned white. I don't know. It just, it just happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you get there, like when you start doing the theater work, um, you had had no real experience with it before. Well, in the group, in this, in the group, uh, they would do, they they had theater, but I. They had a, <laughs> that they used to spread the message, and they go on these missions with their theater things. But the um, like what like a, a, like a singing group? Yeah. Well, no, it was an actual. They had plays in the cult. Yeah. Huh. And there was a children's play called Bungle in the Jungle, and I played a tiger once, <laughs> and I loved it probably too much. You weren't supposed to <laughs> like it too much. <laughs> for the wrong reasons you just like the acting you, yeah you know. because oh i feel this is cool i'm a tiger it's not cool it's not about you <laughs> no. and what these were morality things these they were i can't believe i'm laughing at it what it's good to laugh at message they had a message the plays oh they, everything had a message was a recruitment tool yeah wow you were in i'm so surprised i never heard of the cult uh-huh. So that was your that was your early theater experience, and other than that, you you didn't do any acting in in high school or anything. Uh, let's see. Well, I went to uh, Rosemary Hall f- from tenth grade on because we came back to this country, and I was in the drama club, and uh, they had an outdoor amphitheater that was fabulous. It was all girls school, but every every spring semester we'd put on a Shakespeare play in the amphitheater. Oh, okay. And my senior year, I was Romeo. And oh, I was good. in the Merchants of Venice and blah blah blah. Yes. Did you get Shakespeare early on? I mean, did you, did it resonate with you? Like, uh, I mean, no. Yeah, I, I've had a very hard time with it, and I'm getting better. Yeah. But I don't I don't practice or anything. Well, if you understand, if the actor understands it, the audience will understand it. I think it's just a matter of staying in the saddle. I mean, it's hard to listen to. It goes on a while. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh my God, they're still talking about, what are they talking about now? I checked out for three seconds. I don't know what's happening. That's my problem. Yeah. So in terms of training, was there someone that changed your life yes, down there in yes, college? Yes, Dr. I mean, Howard Scammon. He was the head of the theater department. He was an absolute drunk. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. I, I did my first audition, you know, literally when I, it was for Twelfth Night. And uh, I was in chemistry class. or I was in bio, but we were in, in the lab. And Mr. Scammon, had this kind of wild white hair and he wore flip-flops and, you know, kind of, sherbet colored bermuda shorts and he he yeah. he was he peeked around the corner of the door of the lab and asked if i was there and i went up to him and he said uh, do you, i just want to make sure you know you have a call back <laughs> so i yeah so i got the the role of olivia in 12th night and over uh, he he really the, th- the great thing about going to an, uh, a uh, liberal arts school is that kids from all over the campus would participate in the theater project. So you couldn't, you're, you couldn't really be a snob about what you were doing. You just tried to do it. Right. right? I really liked right. that. Yeah. There were kids who were there just because of the love of it, not because they wanted to make it their career. And yet there right. was a triumvirate at that time that were, they could have been in any acting school. Uh, you know, and Howard Scammon, boy, he was a, what a character he was. But he sensed my, the seriousness of my intent. And he he was, I remember he said to me, as I became kind of, you know, a star at that time of maybe the William & Mary Theater, though you would have a, a starring role, then you'd have a very, very uh, secondary role, and then you would do... You do costumes and then you do, you know, sets. Uh, yeah, real yeah, theater community yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. But I remember him saying to me at one point, just remember, you're a big fish in a very little pond. <laughs> <laughs> so he was a real champion of yours. He was. He he helped me. We did out, they did at that time at Williamsburg, this outdoor called the Common Glory, this outdoor uh, drama about the revolution and you know and so but it did the it was an amphitheater true amphitheater didn't have any sound system and he helped me really uh, uh, with my my vocal range my speaking vocal range um, uh-huh. and then uh, my senior year um, I've always loved Catherine Hepburn because she's from Connecticut her father was a doctor and I've always felt unlike me that she knew who she was you know, hmm. I've always had, I always had great respect for her. She, she was kind of one of a kind, you know, right, right, an original, and and yeah. didn't apologize for it. And um, and I was doing sets, some painting sets. Uh, you know, it was my senior year, and for some reason there was a television on, and it was that Cap- Dick Cavett, mm-hmm. the only time that that Hepburn was on television, uh, being interviewed by Dick Cavett, and. Um, Something in me. I mean, I always knew what I wanted, but at that moment, it says, "Okay, if that's what you want to do, do it." <laughs> and the next day, I went to Doctor Scammon's offices, and I had heard about the URTA TCG national auditions. Um, and I said, "Would you, uh, you know, uh, 
nominate me, write this letter. It was the last day the letter could be postmarked uh, for that year. And I I went to those series of auditions and I got my first job. In New York? Uh, well, the finals for the, I think the TCG, one of them, one TCG was the... Uh, all the the college theaters. Oh, okay. And then the yeah. URTA was all the nonprofit theaters. Okay. I, it was like must so it must have been theater communications. That, no, that's a nonprofit, the TCG. And I got my job with a Phoenix theater that had three shows on Broadway. And so my my first job was understudying uh, on Broadway. Really, that's amazing. Yeah. I like how that that your your the voice that told you to do it was actually Catherine Hepburn's voice. I think. Yes, but did. also st- before Nike or who was it? Just do it. It was yeah. that. Um, he used to stand in the in the wings and just say, "Just do it." <laughs> that was uh, what's his name? The teacher Sk- Howard Scammon. Scammon. Yeah, and. Uh, after I graduated, I think the year after I graduated, and he, oh my God, he, I was going into the old Helen Hayes Theater yeah, um, for my first job. Was and it like it, 46th Street or something? 40, where was it? 40, like right there. I think it was 46th Street. It was right yeah. across from um, the Lunt Fontaine. And I saw somebody hovering in the shadows and I looked over and I said, Dr. Scammon? <laughs> and I went up to him, what are you doing here? And he said, I just wanted to see you walk into the stage door. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Yeah, and then he sent me a little Jefferson cup, you know, with the name of the play and sent me very, very, he'd come to see everything I did and, he came, and then he would send me really, really good notes. Oh, really? Yeah. So this is throughout your early career. So you're doing Broadway. Yeah. And he's still, and he's coming to see everything. And really, so he really was like invested and, yes. and, and seemed to love you. He did. And I loved him. And was that, was that really the foundation of your, the training that sort of yeah. built you still? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I never went to acting school. That was um, all of it, huh? What, what about yeah. singing? Where'd you learn how to sing so beautifully? Um, <laughs> I don't want to go into that. <laughs> really? <laughs> that's the. No, that's it's the, just well. Uh, well, it's well I sung. I, I've always sung. I've always sung. But I went into a group that was an offshoot of MRA, and was that when it was in that group for five years, and it was Which from was that? that up with people. <laughs> you see. <laughs> You're a real trooper. I feel I'm feeling a little bolus of shame, even as I say that, because I, I don't have know fucking don't... no control. So I find myself on the girls' bus, you know, for five years with up with people. You I know, didn't know that was involved. Of... I, everyone knew up with people, but not everyone knew that cult. But yeah, they were part it came of it? out of it came out of MRA. No kidding. Yeah. How do we get you past this shame? You have to let go of the shame, Glenn. Well, I've just talked about it. So, but that up with people. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. I just had a dream the other day, and this is really cool. I just had a dream. And uh, <laughs> I was in a, I, I, I've been doing a show, but uh, it was, it was really um, radical. And it was supposed to be up with people. And then I was exhausted. And I was in kind of a a room, it's almost like a hospital room. And the leader came in with a little, you know, henchman 
and and said, oh, we're going to go to Europe. I said, I'm not going. This isn't what I do. Yeah. In my dream. And I've wow. gone through a whole series of, of dreams. And it was so much fun because in my dream, I just was, are you kidding? I'm not going to go there. It's not what I do. You actually were standing in my dream, and then and then this, the guy had all these buttons. His little henchman had all these buttons on his suit. I said, "What are those buttons?" He said, "They're from a Bergmeister." <laughs> the Bergmeister, <laughs> and the thing was in Switzerland, they get these people to come, like these VIPs, and they'd be Bergmeisters of you know some town in Germany or Holland or something, and they'd suck up to them and everything, and. And so the fact that in my dream, all these years later, the word Bergermeister would come up was hilarious. Wow. Yeah. It was hilarious. And in your dream, you're standing up for yourself. Yeah. I'm just saying, I, and it wasn't even, I wasn't even angry. I've had, I've had raging dreams where you wake up gasping for air, but this was just, are you kidding me? Yeah. Get, yeah I'm know, over go it. Go away. Yeah. I, yeah. you know, go so away. It was, it was found. It was, it was based in Switzerland. That's where the, the big, one of the was. bases was Switzerland. They had, they wow. had a fancy place in London. They had a fancy place in LA. But they it's, had, it's gone had a big now. house in Tucson. I, you know what? I don't even want to look it up. I'm, I don't know what, okay. where it is, what it is. Okay. I, I don't want to know about either. Well, of those I think organizations. you, I think you've, uh, I think you've freed yourself and you've done very well. And you are a, a authentic, unique uh, voice and person. Yes. Okay. So we can move on. Yes. Well, you know, um, it's, it's interesting because I do, I've always felt that, that art comes out of somewhere, a sense of outrage, art yeah. that really touches people. And I certainly sure. have had my bolus of outrage and I, and I think it's, it's pretty much a, a bottomless ocean. Sure. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I can always tell. I used to do a bit about that. There, I, there's a, a river of rage that r- runs through me always, but it's your choice to put the kayak in the water. Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah, always yeah. there. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's always there for a resource, you know? Well, luckily, my, mine's a more, maybe a little bit of a calmer thing than a, than a river on a kayak. But, yeah. Uh, uh, maybe just a, a, a gently paddling down the. Uh, <laughs> The, the Rage Creek? Maybe a Glenn. lake, because the ocean is a little bit scary. <laughs> Just a, a, Mine's a New England lake with, you an, know. An angry lake. <laughs> so I, I guess like going to New York at that point must have been sort of jarring and exciting. Oh, it was thrilling. I still was living at my grandmother's house in Greenwich, and I'd take the train in and get lost. I was absolutely, I said, I do not, I'm going to take, you know, I want to, be a New Yorker. I'm going to take buses or subways and I'd end out on Queens, you know, and we yeah, were rehearsing yeah, down yeah, on yeah. West 18th street. And, and I, you know, it's like, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Well, that's fucking true. <laughs> <laughs> Just getting someplace. Just getting the, someplace. What was the first show? That was the first play. Congreve's love for love, a restoration comedy. That was 70, 1974. So you were really a theater actress for a decade before you did movies, almost. I think it's about six years. Huh. Because my first movie was Garp. Well, who were the people that were like, you must have showed up in New York and there must have been the whole community was like, who's this kid? What is, who's this woman? Well, I mean, that's a whole other story because uh, Hal Prince was the director of That Love for Love. And, um... I understudied a, a beautiful English actor, Mary Yore, and my best friend, still Mary Beth Hurt, 
Thank God I never had to go on for her. But um, the Saturday before our opening, Hal was at the theater at the stage door when I came in, and he, and he mm. took me out on the stage, and he said, I'm thinking of letting Miss Yor go. Wow. I'll make up my decision during this matinee. So stay in your dressing room after the show. Everybody always disperses immediately. Go get dinner between the shows. Stay yeah. in your dressing room. And if and if you hear of the intercom that you're wanted down in costumes, I've made my decision and I want you to go on tonight. So, what? Yeah. And did it happen? It did. And I'd never had an understudy rehearsal. But the thing was, I was so green and hungry that I went to every single rehearsal. And for some ungodly reason i knew the lines because usually you start understudy rehearsals after the show is opened uh-huh so i went on that night um they tried to find everybody and bring them back so we could at least walk through it um yeah and i got through it and i you know finished the run for that show and then it was it was not true uh repertory in that we did one play after another right. but then i went up to the fourth floor dressing room again and became an understudy so it was tragedy for for Mary Yore, who died the following spring, um, and in a in a profession that is so can be so cruel and yeah. so demanding. It was a profound lesson at the very beginning of my career. She wrote me a note. She had the grace to write me a note before I went on that that night, and in that note, she said, "Be brave and strong." She didn't say break a leg or, you know, she said be brave and strong. Hmm. That's heavy. Yeah. What a gift she gave me. Yeah. To be that um, giving in that moment. Jesus. Unbelievable. And that was the beginning of it. That was my first step onto a professional stage. And then you went on to do so much. I mean, like, who were the, like, who was the, like, I don't, I don't know theater as well as I know movies, but I have to assume at that time in the 70s, you were seeing that, that world of those actors that were, like, who were around. Yeah. The people you worked with. John Lithgow. Yeah. uh, Oh, God. Practically everybody in the Big Chill. Kevin Klein. Yeah. uh, You know, all of us started. Uh, Meryl, you know, Mary Beth, yeah. Mandy Patinkin. Yeah. Um, who else? Everybody. Uh, That's such an amazing bunch of talented people. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty fierce. Really? I mean, like, it's sort of, I don't, th- I think there's plenty of talented people, you know, now, obviously, but I think it was, it seems, everything seems different. There, there seems to be a, 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 a crew of people that happened in the 70s that have some sort of integrity that that kind of lasts and you, they they're very defining but that just might be because of my age maybe there's plenty of 20 year olds that are along the same well, I, trajectory you know i think i think starting out in theater uh gives you a depth of of craft that you do not get if you start out in television or film yeah i think they're great film actors and they're great you know but stage it's you and the audience and your craft and there's nobody to edit you. There's nobody, you know, you're, yeah, you're you got one shot. Yeah. Every yeah. show, every, every line. eight times a week, a different audience a, a, every night. And you, you go out and deliver. And there's a discipline about it. You get there on time. You do your own makeup unless it's complicated. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, 
if you don't, you get docked. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's 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 <laughs> a discipline that 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 has followed me these forty six years into how I approach everything still. And and when you say craft, because like when I watch, like I watched Hillbilly Elegy the other night, and it's a tricky movie. You know, it's it's heavy and it's you know kind of gut wrenching. The characters, the character you played and Amy Adams played, uh, unapologetic and and broken. Mm-hmm. But yeah. human, did you like assess that material and say like you know if we don't embody these characters, perfect you know in, in as humans they're gonna they're 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 you're on the edge of something that could be kind of farcical. You, you, yes, because I mean you think of hillbilly, which I right. now I say uh, mountain, you know the mountain people. Right. I, it, it, we just most of us know them as a cliche. Right. Right. And. Uh, to, which is tragic. And it is I think tragic. Ron's whole purpose in wanting to tell this story, and he will say that he had, you know, his people come from Oklahoma. So it was, he called his grandmother Mama. You know, it, it, this, it was this whole mindset that, that a lot of us have just said, oh, that's a, a cliche. Or, and then we read about the opioid crisis and the poverty and the violence. So yes, uh, I think the intent was always to take that family and make them human. And, you know, all great drama comes from family. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think in, in creating something very specific, you then the people then can make broader they can they can relate it to themselves you know and that's rare that you see those type of people on screen that where they're not played as rubes or yeah. or or villains yeah. of some or sort. bad people yeah 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 so well that well that definitely worked <laughs> you, you... Uh, good yeah i mean it was an amazing process he also uh you know, we were we were very grateful, first of all, for Ron and all his prep, which is always just astounding. But also, Netflix gave us the money to have at least three weeks of preparation, so we we had time to go to Middleton, Ohio, and meet the family, see the neighborhood. You know, long before we went there to shoot, uh, and we met the, whatever members of the family that were there. Um, each of us had individual time with them to ask whatever questions we thought were pertinent to the characters we were playing. And it was, it just was invaluable, invaluable. And, and we all felt it was incredibly brave for that family, especially Bev. And, uh, you know, Amy speaks to this to agree to be, to let strangers come in and, uh, play you. I mean, um, and to play you as honestly as they could. Especially what she went through. I mean, that's... What she went through. Um, Heavy. Yeah. So, and I think um, because of the humanity of the story Mm. that you will find empathy in places that you might not have had it before. Well, I think that was the the amazing thing about uh, how everybody played it and how it was put together. You know, like your character, you know, from the outset, you, you know, you go through this arc with her where you're like, oh, what a nice old lady. And then you're like, oh, what? Maybe not, you know? <laughs> and, then like, and then you, you know, you, you get into that familial darkness that drives, I think, what you said before, drama. You know, that there are these, there's a history there. 
mm-hmm. that you know becomes revealed as 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 the story unfolds. But yet, n- no one, you do not, you know, the empathy the empathy stays. There no there are no real villains. People, it's right. just it's just, just the gray of human life. You know. <laughs> I mean, Mamaw had made terrible mistakes with her children, right? And she didn't want her children. She, she didn't want to see it happen to uh, JD, right? And there's that you know, there's that one scene. I don't want to spoil anything. Where you know, there's a flashback of you know what your character went through as a young, yeah. and it was like, oh my god, it's like one of those moments. Where, like I could <laughs> see how it, I, I didn't read the book, but that was you know, you're like that. That was the window into yeah. the darkness, right? Yeah. Deeply yeah. traumatizing for children, but also, I mean, the truth is <laughs> yeah, for anybody. I think <laughs> that she and uh, she and Papa lived, you know, separately. Uh, they lived separately because he had, yeah. you know, he played around and he was, you know, but and she never dated or saw anyone else. Right. Uh, but they, she, he would come and spend most of his days at her house and then walk home. In real life. Know, in real life. Yeah, it's it's uh, well, it must be amazing that the process of actually having to spend time. I don't know how many times you did that. You did it with I don't know. You didn't have the same opportunity with Von Buell. uh, But 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 to actually, you know, get involved with the family that that you're portraying. That was the opposite with uh, that when I played Sonny Von Buell and it was tragic for me understandably anybody everybody around her who knew her and she was still alive up at presbyterian new york presbyterian yeah um wouldn't talk to me and and i understandably but i i do feel that if they had i i would have played her it would have helped me it would it would have only made my performance better Sure, but yeah. But, so the, but to have this opportunity to sort of uh, integrate and engage and, and spend time with and understand the emotional history of, of the characters you're playing, that must be uh, more pressure in a way. I mean, it must be relieving in some way, but more yeah. pressure. Yeah, I approach, you know, my questions were, how did she sit? What did, how did kind of she change the atmosphere and she walked into a room? Uh, you know, how did she hold a cigarette? Um mm. She was. She always used her hands a lot. If anything, I kind of tamped it down a bit because she was truly larger than life, and she was a much bigger woman than I am, uh, uh-huh. taller. But um, but it was incredibly helpful to just to try, to try to in my imagination put all those elements together. And those are decisions you have to make, and you know, based on your own imagination without this resource like if you're creating if you're playing a fictional person those are yeah. the questions you still ask yourself well that's but you the get fun of decide. it yeah 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 the fun of it is all these um, you know kind of like uh, yeah. minute to minute choices around behavior and and engagement and a lot of times i mean i remember when when i worked with mike nichols he said it's really really good to have secrets huh. and so a lot of times you can have something in your head that's a secret that might be uh in your in your either imagination or, for example, something like House of the Spirits, where I had an ho- entire book as a Bible uh, in, a, in a, you know, supporting role. The, uh, you, can, you can have things that, that, that might trigger a certain behavior or reaction that the audience might not totally understand, but it will make it intriguing. You know, it will. Interesting. It will, yeah. So I think s- secrets are good. So that's and that's sort of different than backstory, really, like because uh, that's a character choice. Like you, you know, somebody can hand you a backstory for a character, like 
you know, or have a couple of pages of where they come from, but to actually choose something that defines them emotionally that is mm. unspoken. Yeah. From that like backstory, a, there might be certain uh, yeah. events. Mm. You do a lot of backstory work when you do the stuff? Usually, usually, yeah. if, if I feel a need, um, when I did damages, it was the first time I couldn't, they wouldn't allow me to do a backstory because they didn't know where they were going to go. <laughs> that was right. very disconcerting, you know, because I'd done beginning, middle and end. And this was, you know, you sign up for six years. We did five years. Um, yeah. But it was a great exercise. Mm. And and those writers, they were so brilliant. And I just said, just promise me that you don't compromise me in a way that I'm not aware of, that, that you don't have me say something and then counter, you know, uh, turn it around, you know, three episodes from now. And they never did. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You're able to trust them. But like over the, over time, like I, like it just struck me because I remember seeing like when I was younger, I remember seeing Garp. And I remember like in when you when you mentioned that you had a sort of uh, when you were a kid, you were you you were sort of an inner kid and you entertained yourself with your imagination. Robin was a lot like that. Mm hmm. We got to be got to be real friends in that movie that lasted our whole lives. Not friends that called each other every week, but right. friends that, you know, time fell away whenever I saw him. It was that kind of experience. Well, it feels like you had sort of a similar, uh, you know, a little bit some more background in that I, he was an only child though yeah but you see you know but he did come from a, a big world yeah but he was very much an introvert yeah well for sure yeah yeah i yeah. i i knew him from comedy and i interviewed him years ago and he, he was a very shy guy really yeah in a yeah. strange way i remember early on he i think when we were shooting up in millbrook the school stuff and some a whole bunch of press had come up and yeah. uh Robin was doing press and uh, he, they, you know, they asked me to go with him just for kind of moral support, I guess. Right. And he was, before he was really uh, quiet and it was one of the most amazing demonstrations of brilliance as he, when he spoke in front of the press, he brought in, you know, uh, what was happening in the world. I mean, all this stuff. And I'd never seen him read a newspaper. And <laughs> and it was just, it was just astoundingly brilliant. And he came yeah. off and he, and he looked at me and said, was that okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's sweet. And then yeah. like, uh, and then like, I remember like the, I, the big, the big chill had a profound effect on me somehow. Hmm. I'm, you know, I'm younger, but like that movie seemed to. You know, you're better, younger. You know, Are you saying you're younger. younger than me? I'm. I'm not. I'm. I'm the tail end of the boomer thing. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. getting to where everyone is younger than me. Okay. I'm 57. I wasn't. Wow. Yeah. I want to be 57. But but that movie was like you know for better or for worse it kind of set the ball rolling of what a boomer was. Yeah. That it defined the spectrum. Yeah. And somehow or another, I don't know what it's like working with Kasdan. Oh, great! But he's, he really kind of he def, you like you. That was to me. There was, I guess, it, it was really the second film where you played a maternal force. The second, yes, yes. I mean, Absolutely. that was the idea of that character, right? Yeah, I wanted to play Mary Kay's part. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, but I, I remember he had a reading in New York. 
he brought some of us in. It was really yeah. kind of, <laughs> oh my God. My my dear, brilliant friend, Mary Beth, had been married to Bill Hurd and he had, she had just broken up with Kevin Klein and she read the Mary, she, I mean, it was just fraught. She read the the, the part that Mary Kay Place got. Um, so it was all, uh, but I, after that reading, I went up to Larry and said, I bet you want me to play, you know, and she said, yeah. Okay, but you held it down. You were the anchor. and I dated Kevin. We all dated you did? Kevin. Yeah. yeah, but it was great because we stayed <laughs> friends, and so it was no big deal. You know, it was great. But but hurt. So you are you friends with hurt still, William? I am when I see him. That that kind of friendship, but I don't have the kind of friendship that you know you you uh, call yeah. regularly. I am. I- my best friend is Mary Beth. Still, well, so, right? So you can't. <laughs> Yeah. Oh no, I can. I mean, oh. you know, I don't everything's hold. water under the bridge at this point. For me, I mean, I she didn't do anything to me. <laughs> no, but I mean, but they don't get along like Mary Beth and William. Oh, I think they'd probably be civil, but no. Oh, I can't, I just can't like I that whole crew where he, he just seems everybody seems so defined and he seems yeah. so intense. I was kind of obsessed. He with him was intense. <laughs> I mean, he was incredibly intense. He and, and Larry had big fights because. He wanted to stay looking like that drug dealer the whole movie because uh-huh. everybody had said how beautiful he was and he was beautiful and he didn't want, I guess, he didn't want to clean up. He thought oh, okay. it would be, you know, so, but of course, Larry won the fight, but uh, no, it was, it was, it was so, Larry made all of us be there all the time, even if we weren't working. Uh-huh. So we really, and we had an a month of rehearsal at the, Columbia uh, uh, lot uh-huh. uh, uh, before we did the movie. Um, wow. So you guys really of, knew each other. I mean, that really, was the intent. Yeah. Other than those of us who had dated each other, we, uh, and there was a, there was an epilogue, which we actually shot first down in Atlanta where we were all in the seedy old house that we shared on the oh, campus I heard about of, that. of the and University was, of Michigan. Right, but it was hard with the costumes, right? Didn't no. Well, I mean, you could say Jeff, you know, Jeff Goldblum all of a sudden had a huge beard, and 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 because it was time when everybody was demonstrating. Right. Um, and wasn't I think Costner in it at that time? Was Kevin Costner? Kevin Costner was alive. Right, you saw him alive, and um, he played the dead guy. And he's the dead guy. The he's the body in the beginning of the movie. Um, but I think it was because it opened up such a can of worms. It, it was actually the part that made me weep when I read the script because it was a bunch of young friends who did not know what life was going to do to them. Didn't right. know that one of them was going to die by suicide. And right. uh, I felt it. I always find that dynamic incredibly moving. But I think it just it just opened up too much. Um, and no the, one's the, ever seen it. The flashback. The flashback. Yeah. It's interesting that that he's kept it under wraps. I guess yeah. he's got it. I know he you listens know, to this show I'm sometimes because sure I, I know his kids. Oh, I know, he's the I know best. Jake. He's just the best. He and Meg, his wife. Yeah, they're wonderful yeah. people. Yeah. So, well, I, obviously we can't go through every movie, but it seems like I love The Natural. That's one of my. I, I watch uh, it whenever I can. I don't. I don't know what it is about that movie. But I just love it. I love yeah. it. Like, and apparently, I didn't realize that the end. In the end, he doesn't. In the book, he he doesn't. Oh, yeah. uh, it's the book, not he the way. He strikes out. He yeah. Stri- 
the difference yeah. between movies and and having you can't have Robert Redford strike out. But also, like, it I wouldn't think, have been a hit if he striked out. Right. But I think Levinson was honoring, like, he was very, like, you know, whatever that book was meant to imply, that this was a hero's story from the beginning, you know, all yeah. the way through. It's a Homeric tale. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's got to hit the home run. I mean, oh, it's, of, and what a moment! Isn't it fabulous? Yeah, it's that, and the music—it's just—it's a beautiful score. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. But but like, Fatal Attraction was this huge cultural phenomenon where you defined the worst fear <laughs> of every man alive, and it and, <laughs> yeah. and it's and it holds. I think. Yeah, it does hold. Yeah. <laughs> you set the standard. Yeah, I'm proud of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You are proud of right? Hard to get dates, but I'm proud of Fatal Attraction. <laughs> it was a hell of a role. I mean, how do you like how do you make that person a human? What was what was oh your Oh my what, god, that probably was the the movie that I did most research on. Really? Because I wanted to know if her behavior was possible. So I took that script to two different psychiatrists and it's fun it's amazing to me now that they didn't come up with any kind of mental illness or disorder uh-huh but uh the well, who i was playing yeah from that research is somebody who had been incested at a very early age by her father right there's all that weirdness about her father uh-huh. um and when that happens many People like that, I mean, a disturbing percentage will will do themselves in. Uh-huh. Um, this is a woman who was made into a sex object before she even knew what sex was. Right. And then made to be feel uh, it was secret and shameful. So you have, uh, she was uh, incapable of having a healthy relationship. It's, it's, um, and, and. It triggered, um, I mean, that character was used by Dr. Gunderson, who has since passed, but he was kind of the the guru of, of um, borderline personality disorder right. research. He said that that was, he used that as an extreme case of borderline. borderline, which could be triggered by what she had gone through in the past. So I was playing a woman who was damaged and and in need of help and acting, you know, kind of acting out. For her, the last thing Alex Forrest was to me was a villain. Right. But because it's interesting, um, you don't get her backstory at all. You don't, you know, you don't really understand. Uh, there was also a scene that was cut out where you, where she discovered mm-hmm. she was actually pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not just, so... Um, it uh, in that scene where I'm turning the light on and off, that was we put that in to remind people that I was a human being in pain that should have been at the end of the movie. Anyway, uh, right. I could talk about it forever. No, but um, I, I think that's I think that's yeah. interesting that like the way culturally it gets framed is like you know what a monster, where you know, because and I I didn't feel that because it was played you know so uh, emotionally um, truthfully. That, you know, she clearly had problems, but, you, you know, she was not uh, at fault in, in, in her emotional reaction to being used. Well, she originally, she, she killed herself. At the Which, end? How, she, how, how that, the original ending was that she's, she cut her, oh, her throat God. To, to Madame Butterfly. 
And, oh, uh, my God. Which is the opera that, that they didn't shoot the scene where she's at the opera and you see Madame Butterfly doing the same thing. But anyway, um, it would not have been a hit if they hadn't changed the ending. For Changing the ending for me was, was a profound, dif- I mean, it was profoundly difficult. I learned from that the importance, the, what the audience, you know, was crying for was catharsis, was right. closure. And yeah. they wanted me, like like Dangerous Liaisons, they wanted her punished more than, you know, it's like women who overkill because if, the, if he's alive, they'll kill him, her. You know, it's right. just, it's people needed the assurance that order would be restored. Huh. And that's what the new ending gave that movie. And I think that's why it was a big hit. Yeah. So you're not, you don't, you're not thrilled with that decision, but you understand it. I understand it. It was very I fought against it for like three weeks. I, wow. I said, I won't do that to my character. And then, and then finally I was told, as one would, um, it won't be released if we don't do another ending. They had done a lot of testing. It's kind of a famous incident, the testing and all that. Well, so that when you dig in with like, you know, the with Mama, how do you say it? Mama, Mama, Mama Vance or somebody like, you know, Alex Forrest and stuff, then like, you know, you played Norma Desmond a lot. You yeah. Know, that, now, I guess there's a, 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 a wealth of, of weird narcissistic sadness there that you have to play honestly as well, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. Is she? I hope to do her on film and then I can put her to rest. Um, but, yes, there, I've always been attracted to people who believe in something that we know as an audience is unattainable. Right. But that belief, even if it's, uh, um, I don't know to use crazy, if it, it, there's something noble about it. There's something noble about it. And, and also people, what's really, really important is that, people, that those characters don't have any self-pity. There is nothing I hate more than self-pity. Yeah. That's what I loved about the story of Albert Nobbs, this woman who had this dream of finding love and having a little chocolate shop. And we knew it would never happen, but her belief makes her heartbreaking. Yeah. And, and same with Norma Desmond. Her right. belief finally kill, you know, does her in for all many different reasons. But there's something incredibly moving um, about someone clinging to to something that feeds them but we know that it's going to be a disaster yeah we're 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 seeing it on the presidential level right now (laughs) oh my god (laughs) whoa not as heartbreaking that that story (sighs) but but also like i i read that you you played blanche once i did in in london so like there that that's another character. What's it for you? What was at the core of that character? Oh my God, PTSD. Mm. I really I thought she, you know again I I'm fascinated by the why of behavior. Mm-hmm. So why was she like that? Mm. She famously has that incredible speech about watching her lover or her fiance, who is obviously gay kill himself in front of her, put a gun to his head and blow his head off. Right. It, it, um, that is, um, 
there's no trauma worse than that. It was never PTSD. If it's not treated, com- becomes only worse, and people relive it in their minds. So she heard the music that was playing. She hears hears the gunshot, and right. she starts self medicating. To me, that was self- Blanche Dubois. Wow, that makes sense. Yeah, sure, it made sense to me. And so then, is it just fun to play Cruella? Is that like do you? Oh or my do god! You, or do you <laughs> infu- infuse her with some sort of psychology? Yeah, well, the first of all, I was so thrilled to be a Disney witch after <laughs> yeah. after my childhood, and and yeah. knowing in fairy tales, kids have to know that there's darkness and uh, that they can be rescued from it, or that they can rescue themselves from it. So I think the great fairy tales have children who don't have a mother uh, because a mother would not let it happen, and right. so I and and who who get. There's a wicked witch or a wicked stepmother. The fathers are usually uh, not there or uh, like uh, very distant, like Bambi or oblivious, like the Little Mermaid. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, there's all these. Th- th- so the father's not there, and and it's about rescuing the children and bringing them back into the light. And and that was again, you know, instead of children, it was the the Dalmatian puppies. And I and I learned very early on that the the meaner she was, the funnier she was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you could really push it. And the original movie has, I mean, she, this original movie that says, you know, you know, poison them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Drown them, poison them. It, <laughs> <laughs> they did, didn't step back from doing, saying stuff like that. So what, what, what happens now? We're all just waiting in COVID land. Do you oh, have I work know. coming up? I do. And I've been here since February, so I'm kind of freaking out. Um, Are you going to go? Like, I just took a little part in a movie, and I'm 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 scared about the I just the COVID thing is just like I know, making me, especially now. It's worse than ever, and now they're like, but they got <sighs> protocols and stuff. But I'm still like, oh fuck, I don't know. What does that mean? It's like until they get a test that they can just we can just do at home every morning. How do we? You know? I know. I don't know. Well, are you going to go work? Uh, I'm supposed to go down to L.A. for 10 days to do a voice for an animated feature. And oh, that's doable. Yeah. Just go into the bunker. I did. I, yeah, you can. I that's guess. Do, that, that can be pretty clean. And then, uh, yeah, but you have to stay somewhere. Um, and anyway, then uh, in the new year, I'm supposed to go. Well, actually, I, have to, <laughs> I miss Christmas because I've got to go quarantine in Canada to do a movie. Uh, two weeks in Canada to quarantine. Two weeks, absolute, absolute. Vancouver, yeah, that's a great city. Yeah, it is. It's pretty. It's like it a toy pretty. city. <laughs> like, it looks like it was all built from <gasps> the same be, box. The human is a you know. I love. I've done two movies there. You know, quite a while ago, but I really liked it. It'll be interesting to go back. I'm sure it's very different. Yeah, I'd like to live there. I think. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> we'll see but anyway it's they're very very strict and they well, that's so good. i'm taking my pit my dog and this movie's gonna open up soon and and people are gonna be blown away great job thank you on uh the hillbilly elegy it was nice talking to you it's nice talking to you did you we cover things that you wanted to cover i we kind of got 
hung up in the beginning a no no bit, i think but... so like you know usually like you know i like the beginning i i think it it's you know it's interesting to when you have the time to do a long conversation that some you you kind of get a sense of how somebody either was put together or put themselves together mm-hmm. so you know it all kind of uh you know reveals something and you know, we, we covered a, a, a few movies a few plays your craft uh, your childhood <laughs> your shame uh, your, your sensitivity to psychological uh, motivations to behavior, your your uh, physical choices, Montana, the presidency, yeah. working during COVID. We've covered a lot briefly. This is the first time I actually have come out uh, with a political opinion because I was very disillusioned by Clinton. And uh, I really worked for the for first Clinton uh, uh-huh. campaign. And then I thought, you know, ugh. but this, you can't, you, I could not, I oh, could not on. be silent, Terrible. could not no. be silent, you know, so. Yeah, it's, no, I mean, it's crazy. You know, it's, it's, it's. Ugh. Toxic, I, I, horrendous. It's toxic. like it, embarrassing. And it's sort of like, how is this fucking real? The thing is that they, they've, you know, the Republicans have laid for years this groundwork of. Of course. Uh, and, yes, uh, and they don't care yeah. about him. No, he's just like don't. he's it's, like it's he's all about like, power, staying in well, power. And also, it's, he's running like they're like let him do his dance, and we can chip away at the agenda we've been diligently working on for thirty years. And let the you let know the our, our founding fathers and many people feel that the that the Constitution. I mean, it's amazing that it's, that we still are adhering to it, but it's mm. it's an old piece of writing. But um, our founding fathers never never banked on professional politicians that's true you know you're supposed to go serve and go home and now they're these men that have to stay in power and to stay in power they have to get money and to get money they they get corrupted well they knew that there would be problems with people who are politicians and they tried to think of of you know i just talked to uh heidi schreck have you seen that show yes and i listened to that i listened to that whole thing it was really great right great yeah did you yeah. watch this? Did you go what watch the show? What an interesting woman. Yeah. Have you watched really? the show? I went to her show on Broadway. Oh, you did? Yeah. I, yeah. I, like, it was so funny because I was so like, you know, the uh, yeah, the title of it was sort of alienating to me. Yeah, it I was. I know when you said in the beginning, I don't want to go to school. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah. it's true. But, but it, was it was really great. It was it makes great. Me, I think this is an opportunity, hopefully, for all of us to, to sort of um, somehow... Uh, not be complacent and 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 have a a, a deeper engagement with uh, with the civic process. You know, I really agree. And what I really hope is that we should have some sort of a truth and reconciliation. We have to now that it's, the scab has been pulled off of the racism in this country. Mm. We have to address it. And I mm. think at that point uh, we will make our constitution uh, real for everyone. Right now, it's not. Yeah. And it, it never has been because of the racism that has existed from the beginning. That was my, you know, we're taught that we didn't, it didn't really sink in right. until, until the whole Black Lives Matter movement, which is to validate ourselves and to finally kind of grow up in a way. That sounds presumptuous to even mm. say that, but I, I mean that to, to really have our constitution truthful and meaningful and strong and important for all of us 
we have to we have to deal with with these issues and i hope hopefully we'll have the enlightened leadership that will help us do that yeah and we can hold back authoritarianism for a while <laughs> yeah you know we're not a pretty species in in huge groups we're just not <laughs> yeah that that can go yes yeah. yeah, so it could be an audience, or it could be a political movement. <laughs> we you can we're, we can turn on a dime. <laughs> That's for sure. All right, well, have a have a good rest of the day. You too. It's nice yeah. to meet you, and congratulations on your on your podcast. It's fascinating, oh, you. and you know, you I really it. believe in in uh, your where you're coming from, and I'm very honored to have talked to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, and I feel the same way. Very honored to talk to you. I've been a huge fan of for a long time. Thanks a lot. See you later, Gwen. (laughs) Bye-bye. Wasn't that surprising and good? Wow. Hillbilly Elegy with Glenn Close and Amy Adams is on Netflix now, directed by Ron Howard, who we talked to. Go listen to that. That was an enlightening talk. All right, so let's... uh, I'm playing clean, man. I'm playing clean. Monkey lives, LaFonda lives. I miss you, Lynn Shelton.